1: You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. With our 34th year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise Podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Moneywise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the
0: week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 424 points, or 1.2 percent. The S&P 500 last week was down about 33 points, or eight tenths of one percent, and the Nasdaq last week was up about nine points, or about one tenth of one percent. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 1.6 percent. The S&P 500 year to date is up 7.7 percent. And the NASDAQ
1: year-to-date is up 16.9%. Well, what a week on Wall Street. It definitely was not a stoozer. I would say we had an attack of the Fridays, but it was a good attack of the Fridays. It just didn't get us back to positive range for the Dow and for the S&P. And also, this past week, we saw the Dow Close what, a negative territory Wednesday, Thursday of this past week, was able to finally get back into the black so far for 2023 on Friday. Yeah, there was there's
0: certainly uh, a lot of expectations about the Fed meeting on Wednesday. But prior to the Fed meeting, the drama in the regional banks heated up again. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Uh, I think we might have mentioned it a little bit on, on – well, I guess it was on last week's show we were talking – correct me if I'm wrong. The week just passed, we had another another bank fail. That was First Republic, if –
1: Well, no, that was it was First Republic two weeks ago, and then and it was actually as we were recording the show last weekend, we were saying it's most likely going to go into receivership, and I think while we were recording the show, they actually announced that they were going into receivership. And then actually, actually, they
0: they they, they put it up for bid. That's right. That's right. And And, and, and it was announced, and it was announced Sunday. I I think it was maybe. I wasn't sure if it was on Sunday or it was first thing Monday morning that J.P. Morgan had bought the bank. And we had said it's, it, that, that the bank is no longer gonna, going to exist by Monday, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, now, now, whether J.P. Morgan has enough money to buy out every failing regional bank, I doubt that they do. Uh, and so the bank fears, the contagion fears, the 2008 fears, if you will – was was certainly at the forefront of what was the market was was discussing. You know, Monday, Tuesday. I don't remember exactly which day it was last week that
1: this this latest bank, back, um, west. Off,
0: pack, back uh, west, on the west
1: coast. No Ab- less, that's amazing. Three banks on the west coast all having issues, and then one on the east coast
0: mm-hmm. had an almost fifty percent down in one day. You know, the shorts were were, were all on the attack. Uh, on the uh, regional banks, the KRE, which is a exchange traded fund that contains, I don't know how all, many hundred, regional hundreds, banks, hundreds, hundreds, of hundreds of regional, regional banks, banks uh, was was just that's been taken in the pants all year long, and this this what happened in the week just passed, at least you know especially through through Wednesday, Thursday. Um, that was uh, that was definitely on the tips of every every yeah that that was what the big focus of the week was. was what we're, are we going to have another bank this week? And then we get to Friday, and for whatever reason was there's there's been there's now threats that they're going to bring back the ban on short selling for the banks. That's a, remember when we did that in two thousand and eight. There was mm-hmm. there were there were ideas being floated about doing that, and I'm not sure if that spooked out the short sellers on Friday, or they just wanted to take their Did, their big fat profits because that bank was up what almost 80 percent on Friday alone. But it's still trading, I think, for under five dollars a share, uh, even after that move.
2: Yeah, Joe. Well, didn't the SEC issue some kind of warning about short selling? And I, anyways, I think it was yesterday. The SEC came out and talked about there's a lot of short interest or whatever on some of these regional banks, and that caused a little bit of volatility also. I mean that, that to right. me, caught my attention because people were trying to you, you get the stock manipulation when you have all these people that are shorting these positions, and there's <laughs> this this is these are not supposed to be speculative, you know, speculative uh stocks. These are regional banks that are supposed to be relatively
1: stable. Well, and and this is and this is what compounds the problem, Joe. What you're talking about is allowing these shorters, these these short traders, you know, with with no restraint to be able to short the bank. Well, when you see one of maybe a regional bank that you have deposits in being down 60 percent stock value in one day, that disturbs your confidence of them as an organization and as a bank, which they can then force depositors to go and pull their deposits, which exacerbates the problem. So I personally feel that a moratorium for shorting these regional bank stocks needs to be taken immediately because I'll add to that, because there was a bank, it's it's called Western Alliance, that they're rock solid. They're not on the East coast. they're not on the West Coast. They're out of Arizona primarily, but they have other branches in the middle section of the United States. There was a article written in the Financial Times earlier this past week that said that they have the possibility of going insolvent, basically any type of news that a short seller would need to absolutely pummel the stock. So this article comes out, they halt the stock because Western Alliance had come down so far in value, and then a spokesman for Western Alliance comes out and says that is categorically false and an absolute rumor so i mentioned i think jeff i think joe to you i said this sounds very familiar like gordon gecko in wall street the blue horseshoe loves Anacott steel i hope the sec is looking up and maybe interviewing the writer of this article in the financial times that that put that information out there that caused Western Alliance to get hit almost as hard as PacWest. And by the way, once these rumors were dispelled from this Financial Times article, Western Alliance was up just under 50% on Friday. So they have got to, they have to stop, the regulators have to stop this short selling because it can exacerbate deposits being pulled from these banks because the depositors' confidence is shaken when they see the stock, that they the, the the stock of the bank that they do business with down fifty sixty percent in one day. Well, let's pause right there. Take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Moneywise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from this past week, had another, um, regional bank shakeup, uh, primarily with Pac West out of, um, I believe they're not out of San Francisco, but, again, somewhere in California, uh, having issues. But right before we ended the first segment was talking about Western Alliance, which is a bank that's uh, headquartered, if memory serves me correct, in Arizona. But a rumor that was floated, a story that was that was put out in the Financial Times earlier this past week that caused the stock to get pummeled, then it got halted and then a spokesman came out and said it's completely a rumor and not true and this all comes back around to the conversation from the regulators of maybe we need to not allow short sellers which again a short seller is someone who's betting on the value of a stock to drop and so yeah Jeff so do you want me to finish my thought before you yeah, hop in well i was just saying that that the regulators need to come in and stop the short selling, because if again you have deposits at Western Alliance as a banking customer and you see the value of the bank 's stock down forty fifty sixty percent in a day, then that 's going to give you the panic and Because of technology and the speed in which money could move today, I mean we heard a couple weeks ago from First Republic they had forty two billion dollars in deposits leave in about forty eight hours. 20 years ago, it, you couldn't do it that fast. You'd actually have to go stand a line, and they would have a traditional run. I think our regulators, particularly the Fed, Treasury, need to understand the speed of technology today. They need to have some type of circuit breaker technology put into place for this. all this electronic banking that's done nowadays to prevent this in the future, just in my opinion. Now, just to, to clarify a little bit of that. SVB
0: Bank had a much higher than industry average uh, percentage deposits above
2: the FDIC FDIC
0: insurance, insurance mm-hmm. which which exas- So so if you had like those those big I like think Roku and some other companies had hundreds Roku. of millions of dollars, half a billion. Roku had. I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know if how many those how many those businesses. Yeah, you know, we're part of the removal of that forty some odd billion that Kyle's talking about. But the social media aspect exacerbated that issue. Now this is hot, and I mean hot off the presses here in the just before we went to start recording today's show, it was just announced that the American Banking American Bankers Association has written a letter to the SEC asking them to halt short selling in the stocks of U.S. regional lenders. Now, in this letter, the Watchdog Group, the American Bankers Association, has urged the SEC to do more to stop the harmful short bets that were, dis- that were disconnected from the bank's financial ra- uh, realities. S- quote, since the two bank failures in March, some of our members have experienced significant short sales of their publicly traded equity securities, and this is the emphasis part, that do not appear to reflect the issuer's financial status or general industry conditions. End quote. Further, we have also observed extensive social media engagement about the health of various banks and the sector generally that appears disconnected from the underlying financial reality. So, this is if you're an organization that profits from your short position, what controls are there for you to go out and disseminate information through social media channels that is negative for the bank that you're short positive for your position? There was a claim, and I want to say in this article that uh, you know, short sellers made nearly $400 million on Thursday
1: I mean where where's betting, betting the
0: against regional banks?
1: Four hundred million dollars. Where, where's the disinformation cops and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter? Where are those dis? I mean, I guess they only deal with disinformation when it comes to Republicans. I guess that's it. But as far as uh, sellers now wait a know, second. If you're a Democrat, so I, I you can say I whatever can hold on. you want with disinformation.
0: I Please. wouldn't say I wouldn't say Elon
1: Musk at Twitter is necessarily a supporter. yeah. You threw
2: him in the same
1: yeah page well, as everybody else. Okay, can. well, well, this is pre Musk. We'll say Twitter pre Musk. So this is PM. PM. So for That's, listen, right. PM That's right. PM is pre Musk. after
2: Musk. Yeah, it's PM. We're talking here, Twitter right. PM,
1: not Twitter AM. But where's the disinformation cops? Because again, they're using social media as a tool. To get their rumors out. And I mean, you could even talk about like Hindenburg, who is a notorious uh, shop that puts out these deep analytical reports. And they were hitting Carl Icahn's company this past week that caused Carl Icahn and the value of his shop to lose like $11 billion saying that he was too highly leveraged. And so you have these short selling uh, firms that put out these devastating reports. How factual they are. I mean, I guess they're gonna stand by what their research and analysis is, but who knows how truthful it is. And then you've got the financial entertainment press that's more than happy to plaster it all over the television, just like this report in the Financial Times about Western Alliance, and it was completely false. And it just I hearken back to Blue Horseshoe loves Anticott Steel, the What's whole the difference? premise to well, yeah. Wall Street.
3: But, but the, the difference,
0: yeah the difference now is is that the dissemination of this information is is destabilizing these banks which the which then destabilize confidence, which causes the bank runs, which then can feed upon itself and destabil can it can is it possible for two or three regional banks that they've been attacking to destabilize the entire system now. You know, I don't. I don't believe that they that, that they that they do. And when the when the Federal Reserve came out on Wednesday, they were talking about how resilient and strong the banking system is. And part of me was thinking, you know, does that sound kind of like the guy at SVB Bank that said basically everyone stay
2: calm? Well, if if you watch Le- Leishman came on and kind of challenged Powell a little bit with that. Yeah.
1: Well, during the press it. conference, yeah, yeah, he's like, how I, could I you didn't... say the banking s- system is strong? And he said, well, I didn't exactly say it was strong, but it's, it's resilient. But, but here's the other thing is that Janet Yellen talking about FDIC insurance, and there were some rumors or some things swirling around this past week that there is kind of a de facto guarantee on all deposits at all banks, even it's, if it's above the FDIC insurance amount. Well, if that's the case, Janet Yellen, Secretary, you know, Treasury Secretary, then why have FDI insurance at all and just say that all deposits at all lending institutions that are regulated is going to be guaranteed? Now, then you start running into the risks of moral hazard. And if you're giving all these banks carte blanche on how they run their business because all their depositors' assets are covered by the government, they're all too big to fail – Then you've got banks starting to become bad actors. The bottom line is is we just need much stricter and much higher thresholds of of regulations of banks of all sizes. Now, some of these smaller community banks will be up in arms because it will cost them a fortune, I'm sure from a compliance standpoint, to adhere to these new limits. But you either jack FDIC insurance limits way up, or you just have it de facto guaranteed by the federal government, period, on all bank deposits. But well, here's the other thing. But here, let me just, I'll finish with this. These banks, they, you know, they know what they're doing. They're not paying a market rate as far as interest is concerned. They're wanting to keep their net interest margins fat. They're trying to keep that spread fat, and they know that they can't compete with the returns on position-traded money market accounts and a lot of CDs at federal credit unions. And so these banks are kind of victims of their own stupidity by not paying enough in interest for their deposits and trying to keep their net interest margin spread so fat. So, you know, it's kind of like they need to be slapped in the face a little bit, in my opinion. That's, you know, that's changing.
0: That's But the other thing is, how fast? <laughs> how, you know, do, do you think? Do you think the party in power at this point wants to have a, a banking crisis, a la 2008 style? Absolutely do you think it's not. Be very, very good for their election uh, hopes come next year. The answer is heck no. And so they're they're gonna they're gonna guarantee all these deposits to, to keep the peace keep the keep contagion <laughs> from 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 occurring I mean, if, this was, if this was the so. first year uh, let's say let's say the democrats win let's just say and this was 2005 uh, do you think they'd still be amenable to uh backing up all fdic uh, insured deposits i don't think so but because it's an, you know the year before an election and they they can't it's not going to help them if we have a, a, a big recession and it's not going to help them if we have a uh a serious issue in the financial system. And so deposits are going to be backed
1: up all the way. All right. Well, let's take our ne- next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation and take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you, Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at And don't forget you can subscribe to the Moneywise Podcast through Apple Podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, spent the first two segments again talking about the another um, West Coast Bank having some difficulties pack west and just all the things surrounding short selling in the bank stocks, uh, you know investors lack of confidence in these bank stocks, and then of course, that bleeding into depositors uh, that have assets at those banks and kind of the situation that can happen there. Joe, I know you wanted to to add something before well, we move on to the next subject
2: sure, and we do portfolio reviews it 's kind of like know what you own all right that 's my favorite thing to talk about, but early this week. Kyle, input all of our positions and in our individually managed accounts into Morningstar. So it outputs how, what percentage we have in every stock, what percentage we have in certain sectors, and just gets back to, all right, What right now we don't have more than 1% in any particular stock. So if you are a home gamer and you're creating your own portfolio, there's a couple things you need to learn from this. What if you had all of a sudden you had a 10% position in Silicon Valley Bank or you had a 5% position in SVB or you had a 5% position in... One of these different regional banks that we're talking about that are up and down 30, 40, 50% in a day. You need to make sure you do your homework. And when we talk about diversification, it doesn't mean you own 10 stocks and 10% a piece. While we create <laughs> portfolios and we have you know roughly 40 positions, sometimes we've had as many as 60, 60, it's because we can assuredly diversify properly and make sure we're not overweight in any one particular stock. Kyle and I work for a big money manager, same building. And we had a certain position called many,
1: many, many years ago, many,
2: many years (laughs) ago, a position called actually decades, actually decades. And we had eight percent or more in that sucker. And it, believe me, we we were taking arrows left and right. So do your homework. If you haven't done a portfolio review and you know the technology, you know, we do portfolio reviews, but make sure you know what you own. You don't own too much of any one particular stock or you're way overweight in one particular industry because that can burn you also.
1: Yeah, exa- exactly. Sector weightings also. It's not just individual names, but it's sector weighting and asset class exposure. But that actually kind of leads us into another topic, and it's just talking about the performance of the S&P in general so far year to date. And we talked about it on last show, but I just had, was able to get hot off the press as some fresh statistics. So I'm going to read a, f- a handful of names of some stocks. Google. Amazon. Microsoft, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, as of Friday, these four stocks are responsible for 41% of the 7.7% total return of the S&P 500 year to date. Those four stocks, let me add three more names, Apple, NVIDIA, Tesla, those seven stocks combined have driven 86% of the total return of the S&P 500 so far year to date. So to say that the market's performance has been driven from a rifle approach, I don't I can't remember Jeff, can you ever remember seven stocks only driving almost 90% of the performance of the index to this I'm level? Sure there, I'm sure there's been
0: times in the past, I can't tell you exactly when those when those times were, but I think the the bottom line there is is that uh, unless you own those seven stocks in your portfolio, or you own half of them in your portfolio, uh, if you don't own any of them, you're definitely way underperforming this year. Uh, it's it's just you know I, I, one thing I'd like me to I know you can't do that, but I wonder what the price earnings ratios are of each one of those. Those uh, particular investments, I doubt any of
1: them are much below
0: much, below, the 30, break. much, much <laughs> below thirty times. I guarantee. I'll, I'll, every, I'll get you. I'll get yeah. you that
1: during the commercial break. So we'll
0: I be able to come to back from break.
3: I guarantee every
0: one of them. Every one of them's PE is above the market average, and and but, I would also
1: hazard to guess that they're at least fifty percent above the market average. So, let, so let's so let talk about something a little bit real quick about equally weighted, because the S&P 500 is market cap weighted, and mm-hmm. the names that we just read off have some of the largest market cap weightings of the S&P 500 index. Well, let's look at the equally weighted S&P 500 index. It's a fund by the symbol of RSP, and let's see how it's performing. Well, through Thursday's close where it takes 503 stocks, because the S&P 500, there is actually 503 companies in it. But if you equally weight all 503 of those companies, the total return through Thursday's close year-to-date of the equally weighted RSP, 0.13%. So with the S&P 500 market cap and weighted index up 7.7% year-to-date, but the equally weighted up 0.13%, to say that 97% of the S&P 500 is not exactly participating in this year's gain so far and to say that the breadth is extremely narrow I think is an understatement the The breadth is 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 as thin as a piece of paper, yeah exactly. that, that, you know now that could be now that could be interpreted several different ways. It could be like, well, wait a second, we've got a lot of stocks in the s and p five hundred that really haven't started to recover from the bear market. I mean we're still stuck in bear market you know territory, bear market. We're still haven't broken out of it since the January 2022 high. So you could interpret that a couple of ways. You could say, well, you know what? There's a lot of great buying opportunities out there. A lot of the companies in the S&P 500 have not participated so far. I'm a long-term investor. I've got money I can start dollar cost averaging into these stocks. So I'm going to start going out and looking for some deals, you know, or, yeah, right I'll let I'll let the
3: bear take over. Jeff's yeah, <laughs> looking the, for a deal, uh,
0: or it's just a recovery. Because if you take those those same seven stocks, how much in aggregate were those seven stocks down last year? Yep. Well,
1: I can Man. tell you Meta yeah. was sixty
0: plus percent
1: down last year,
0: right. and and so if you also how many of those stocks, if you take their performance over the last two years, or or from from the beginning of last year to the to the current point uh you know may the on may 5th if you took their performance and compared it to the S&P 500 how many of those stocks would still be underperforming the S&P the, 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 the most successful portfolio this year contains the 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 most underperforming big cap tech names of last year and on the bond side you made you the your, most money you made the most money by being the f- longest out on the yield curve mm-hmm. That's where you make because yields have generally trended down,
2: mm-hmm.
0: so imagine a portfolio of the worst the worst performing stocks of last year, and you go you know l- ultra long on bonds and and and- and all the fed's done this year is raise interest rates at every meeting so far, right? They haven't paused yet, they've raised was it three times now? Am I counting that right? Yeah,
1: it's ten in total from when they started. Yeah, so ten in total. I
0: think it's three this year. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Uh, and, and and whether they're done or not, we can sit here for the next two hours, two days, two weeks, and debate whether they're going to raise again in a, you know six weeks from now in June. Now after Friday's, after on Thursday, everyone was like, "Oh yeah, they're done." The pause is here, here it comes, and then on Friday, we get those unemployment numbers, which I know, Carl, you you, you have really all the I'll, good yeah, statistics. I'll, Why don't you go ahead and read those real quick?
1: Yeah, so the uh, April jobs numbers came out on Friday. There was 253,000 jobs created, dropped the unemployment rate to 3.4%. The U6, which is what I truly consider the true unemployment rate, was 6.6%, which is only one-tenth higher than its all-time historic low. Now, the other thing that was surprising is the average hourly earnings was up a half of one percent, which was above expectations. So, we mm-hmm. got more jobs being created, and these folks are getting paid more than expected. But... The the market definitely took it in stride, but something that was interesting, though, Jeff, if you looked at the past uh, employment reports, they were revised down. Yes, in fact, some too. of them, I'm talking like 100,000 jobs were revised down, but we still have four and a half-ish million jobs still not filled. So and I know we're going to be coming up at a commercial break, so I might not be able to get fully through my point, but about the conversation of, is the Fed done raising rates? I would say that, yes, they are going to be pausing here. They will not be raising rates in June, even with this Stronger Employment Report. And the reason why I'm saying this is I think the Fed, just, again, speculation, my opinion, is I think if they raise rates one more time in June, it could continue to exacerbate the issues in the regional banking area. So if the Fed is trying to get more people unemployed, I think they're going to have to throw up their hands and say, you know what, we still have four and a half million jobs unfilled. We're not going to be able to have a million or two million people out of work. But because of the banking fiasco that we've been dealing with for, you know, more than a month now, these banks are going to have tighter lending standards. And those tighter lending standards is going to be really the machine that drives inflation lower and accelerates inflation moving lower as opposed to using unemployment as the driving force to lower inflation. That's my opinion, is this banking crisis will wind up doing more good for bringing inflation down than putting 2 million people potentially out of work and raising the unemployment rate north of 4.5%. Well, let's pick up this topic on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to MoneyWise at DavidsonCap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, I know I spit a lot of information out uh, right at the very end of the last segment. Basically, my opinion is is I know the Fed's two mandates is full employment and price stability, and there's been a lot of debate going on for months now. In order to accelerate monetary inflation to move lower, that the Fed needs to get unemployment higher. Well, we've had nothing but solid employment reports, and we just received one on Friday with the unemployment rate at 3.4 percent and 253,000 jobs created well above expectations. But we still have four and a half plus million jobs unfilled. And so my point was, is I think the Fed needs to shift their focus Away from trying to increase unemployment through continued interest rate increases to help slow the economy, which helps bring inflation down faster and realize that the situations that have been happening in the regional and super regional banks. I think because of this, these banks are going to be tightening lending standards. And I would say even the money center banks, everyone is going to be tightening lending standards, which has an effect to slow the economy which will then help accelerate inflation coming down without having to have higher unemployment. So that's why I feel that the Fed is done raising interest rates, and they'll just continue to circle the field for the future. And, and rates will be higher for longer. I know we all three agree. We don't think the Fed's going to be cutting interest rates this year. I know we all agree on that. I just don't see – the only ingredient for them to be doing that is we would have to see the economy come to a screeching halt. And if that was to occur and the Fed has to rush in to lower interest rates, that's not going to be very positive for the stock market.
2: So my takeaway from what you just talked about is – those are the ingredients, and what we were talking about earlier to uh, Friday, Kyle, is for maybe to thread the needle for a soft landing from a from a interest rate standpoint. <laughs> I, I will well, say this: I, How many times did I hear Powell the other day talk about two percent mandate? We need to get inflation down to two percent at least fifty. I mean,
1: that's all he. <laughs> They're, yes. I know. they're, they're taped. Anyways. Their feet are taped to the pedals on this one when it comes to 2%. Yeah. They can't raise it to 32 or 3%, which is closer to the core PCE, or personal consumption expenditures, which was the metric that the Fed has used for decades and decades to set interest rate policies until last year when they changed it to the Consumer Price Index. And then the core, super core Consumer Price Index, but that's just my feelings as far as I think, Jeff, you're going to hit your – because you estimated that they were going to raise rates three times this year. So I think you're going to be dead on right, kind of like your call a couple of years ago that I think GE was going to be removed from the Dow <laughs> before the end of the year. That was another prediction you got dead on. So I think your prediction of three interest rates this year is going to be – or three interest rate increases is going to be dead on again because I don't think they're going to be raising in June because if they do – I'm afraid that it's just going to exacerbate these issues with these regional and super regional banks. Well, I think you you touched on
0: it a little bit. I mean, tightening credit has the effect of slowing the economy. It should, I mean, it it should it shouldn't excel. You know, if you if you if you make credit less accessible to more people, you raise the cost of that credit. That's going to have the effect of slowing the economy. I just I, – I don't know how that's a a great environment for wanting to commit uh more you – know, commit a, a level of stocks uh, – make a commitment to a level of stocks in your portfolio that would be at the maximum asset allocation to stocks or even maybe two-thirds to three-quarters of the way to a maximum asset allocation to stocks because to me – the, these these seven stocks cannot be immune from a slowing economy. They they just can't be totally immune from it. I mean, no company is totally immune from a, from a slowing economy. Somewhere in here, those names stop having money piled into them. I mean, people piling money into them. Is it more about momentum or is it more about fundamentals?
1: To me, I I would say long-term fundamentals. I would say long-term fundamentals. Maybe not for the next six to eight months to maybe 12 months, Jeff, but if you're a long-term investor and you're able to go and pick up some of these names, you know, back, you know, several months ago, 20, 30, 40% off of 52-week highs, and they're still fundamentally sound as the rock of Gibraltar. Yes, look at Apple. Apple's sales year over year was down in iPhones, down in iPads, down in MacBooks. Their service sector, the Apple service sector, which is its universe onto itself, actually saw the only sales increase year over year. but the stock was up four point six nine percent on Friday. You know these companies are going to continue to evolve, but you know continue to innovate, continue to sell products, albeit at a slower pace, but for long term investors. There are so many great values out there. But, yes, these seven stocks that we're talking about, they've had meteoric runs this year. And, in fact, had a conversation with a client on Friday. Don't be surprised if we do a little profit-taking in some of these names that we own. you And Vinny in particular because it is literally strapped to a rocket (laughs) going to the moon this year. And so there's nothing wrong with cashing in and taking on a little profit. doesn't mean we're getting out of the position wholesale, but we can reallocate. You know, we can trim our position down to a to a lower allocation back to our model. So that could potentially happen. But there's still a lot of great stocks out there at good values. And from a volume standpoint, again, volume on Friday, 4% below the daily moving average, which is still telling us that the long-term investors are still sitting on the sidelines. But as we've talked about on this show, sitting on the sidelines is finally paying you. To sit on the sidelines, to be patient, because we have something that is coming potentially in June, and that is this debt ceiling. I don't even want to say negotiation because President Biden already said, "I'll sit with Kevin McCarthy, but I'm not going to negotiate." So his old decrepit feet are taped to the pedals on that one, and he's just being pushed down a mountain. He's not going to negotiate. <laughs> Here we go. Well, Jeff's so, come. Let Jeff, let, they're going to they're going to kick Jeff the can. They're
0: going to kick the can down the road probably to the fall um, on, on that whole issue. You know, we're not going to default the fed fed says they have no tools to help the economy. If if the government goes into default. So whether we have the kind of drama that we had in 2011, I really just don't think we are, you know, sometime, Mm -hmm. sometime uh, it's going to happen here in the next two weeks. They're going to, they're going to kick it. They're not going to give a permanent problem. They're just going to kick it down the road to the fall. That's my prediction
1: on that. Yeah. So again, From our standpoint, we're continuing to be patient, staying defensive, but have our sword in hand to start going on the offensive as time goes on throughout this year. Uh, But we've got a CPI coming out Wednesday, uh, so that's going to be an important number. So we'll see uh, if inflation has continued to accelerate to the downside. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news.
0: All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results.
3: Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise.com at davidsoncap.com
0: if you missed the first hour of money wise you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past money wise programs you can also subscribe to our itunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right hand corner of our homepage at
3: davidsoncap.com thank you jeff you're welcome so now that we're in our second hour of this weekend's money wise program and again like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years. Uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. I, it's, it's a topic that I wanted to revisit, go into a little bit more detail about. And for any longtime listener of this program, they know uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike, or I should say just straight out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or any, any shape and form. And so the reason why uh, I've been motivated to, to talk more about this and go into deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities, which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there, and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a blanket warning to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run away. And so I want to just go into some education. So let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? An annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, that's called a deferred annuity, and if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is. The key word
0: in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm-hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason, the insurance industry is allowed to use that word... The G word. ...as part of the marketing pitch. hmm When in reality, it is nothing more than a promise. Because as we've said uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one only guaranteed investment, and that is government u s government bonds bills and notes that's right that's the only guaranteed investment anything else is nothing more than a promise
3: it's a it, it really it's like you said jeff it's a sales pitch it's in the sales pitch because that the g word as we call it the get word guaranteed gives the potential buyer, that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's that's not true in the world of annuities. So annuities really come in two types, fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company guarantees, quote-unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable. And it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity indexed annuity. The new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid Annuity, which is starting to show up at uh, at lunch and dinner seminars across the city, a hybrid annuity. This,
0: the equity indexed annuity product, mm-hmm. is on the radio as 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 it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is.
3: I'd probably say in some instances more. Jeff. You know,
0: I don't see, I do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities. But whether it's satellite radio, whether it's terrestrial radio, uh, there are radio shows all across. You know, we, we hear, as we're driving across the state of Texas, there are probably five equity-indexed annuity-based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor type show, like we have it here with uh, Money Wise on KKTX. There, th- there'll be five others, and uh, we know of at least... Two or three in the San Antonio market to do nothing but pitch equity and annuities, mm-hmm. and we know for a fact in every large market in this state there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday, whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity indexed annuities. And
3: every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make and as we get further in this education I'll explain why the salespeople of equity indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity indexed annuity? An EIA for short has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. The return varies more than a fixed annuity but not as much as a variable annuity. Now I need to educate our listeners that Equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff, throughout the history of of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return givers? No, earners. They they're they're
0: basically one step below government bonds in okay. terms of in terms of safety I and mean, return. And then return, you know, CDs are back if you buy a CD at a commercial bank and it has FDIC insurance mm-hmm. and you buy the CD under the FDI insurance limits, then you are covered by the FDIC
3: insurance program if so if that bank should fail. so so with this in mind, knowing that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete with CDs, that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return, is going to be low. No matter what pitch the salesperson on the other end of the on the other side of the desk is giving you, know in the back of your mind these things were created to compete against CDs. And so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher. And now when I say slight, I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get in a fixed annuity. And as we get further into the education, I know we're bumping up on a commercial break. You'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you'd want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070. Or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise.com. At davidsoncap.com. So, continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the Black Plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. Uh, And, again, these things were created back in the late 90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are. And we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we will stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products. Um, so let's get back to the EIA. Now, equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return, a rate of interest, and an interest rate linked to a market index. Uh, now, what is the guaranteed minimum rate? Well, typically, the guaranteed minimum rate is at least eighty-seven and a half percent of the original premium paid. Uh and that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about one to three percent. I mean that'll be your minimum rate of return of one to three percent. Now remember if you surrender the equity index annuity early, you will have to pay a significant surrender charge and a ten percent tax penalty which will reduce or eliminate any returns. And I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities, if you're funding annuities with after-tax dollars and you're pre 59 and a half, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, and you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax-deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, uh, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half-truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never, ever in a million years buy any type of annuity product If they gave you the full truth about these products, and that's what we're here doing today is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you, you will get up and walk away from the table. So how good is this quote-unquote guarantee? As Jeff and I said earlier, guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it. So it's not a guarantee. It's a promise. And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund at the st- in the state of Texas, if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business, is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, six hundred thousand, a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else a salesperson is not going to tell you When they're selling you this product, and I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity business as we know it would be dead. Now, you don't ever see any stories about that? Nope. Nope. We, we talk about it. I mean, we talk about
0: it, but, but, the, but the fact of the matter is this is, a, this is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never, ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really haven't
3: changed their story. It's the same story. No, the financial crisis, Dad, actually gave them more fire for their sales pitch because annuities. Oh, well, partic- fear has got higher. And yeah, well, particularly equity indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear, and really annuities in general, but especially equity indexed annuities are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster equity indexed annuity sales, because they can pray, the salesman, yes, and I use the word, they can pray on your fear, on your uncomfortableness, and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've got the product for you, all the upside of the S&P 500, with none of the downside, how could you go wrong? That is the sales pitch. That is a sales pitch, and it's a flat-out lie. And,
0: and here's the, here is the the thing about that sales pitch: if you listen to it very carefully, and you hear that you'll hear, hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads I win as an investor, and tails the insurance company loses. I want you – that doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the market go, goes up 10%? Well, you get 10%. And, and if the market goes down 10%, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be 1% to 3%. So you, you win either way. Think about that logically for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch.
3: And, and here's something else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch Mr. Mrs. Klein, I'm not making a commission. Yeah, that's. I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free. Right. That is another part of the sales they don't, go, they don't go quite that far,
0: but, but the, the. Oh, really? I. I you, you may be <laughs> Sorry. You, you may be making, a little, dramatic. A, may be little, making really a little more. You may be making a little more dramatic, but there isn't a line item on the on the quarterly statement that comes to the. To the client that says sales commission, because the sales commissions are paid directly from the
3: insurance company into the salesperson's pocket. Okay, so getting back to equity indexed annuity, so how are the equity indexed annuity interest rates compounded, the rate of return compounded? Well, again... The indexed, when they talk about index, typically a lot of them use the S&P 500, and the index linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses. Now, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about participation rate, meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in? So the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity. For an example, an insurance company might set the participation rate at 80%, which means that the annuity would be credited with 80% of the gain experienced by the index, now, that sounds good. So if the S&P is up 10%, then well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well, I want to get 8%. That's right. Or some, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about 100% participation. So you as the customer thinking, wow, I get 100% participation of the S&P 500 index, so I get all the upside. But then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man, what a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100 plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example, you have a cap of, say, 4%. So the market goes up 10 The S&P goes up 10%. You're capped at 4 That's the maximum amount of money that you can make. That's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account. And I'm oversimplifying right. this and because I don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep, but there are very complicated, convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you, it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. it's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps, they pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time, less than One a year. year. One year. One year less. Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this, that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise.com at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the commercial break we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity indexed annuities link interest rates or basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index, which sounds great. But then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity indexed annuity uh, basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a 2% rate of return per month. So if the market was up 5% in one month, you might only get two. Um, But again, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, what I have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line, and then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes. Participation rate changes. Interest rate cap changes. And, again, it's to the detriment of your account and to the betterment of the insurance company. And that is a sales pitch. That I is a sales tactic.
0: And I don't mean to steal any into your thunder, no, okay. but there is, there is another teaser that draws clients in.
3: Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium and and, and we use the word premium because an equity indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle it is an insurance policy and we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while so when you're buying an annuity the money you're putting into it is called a premium just like if you were buying a life insurance policy Uh, and so the one thing that we always say to, to anyone thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity Why would an insurance company, if this product is so good. All the upside, none none of the the downside. downside. Why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus, they're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium. So we're going to give you ten free thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus? It's all marketing. It's all marketing. That it's to get your sales juices going, so where you no, will actually, go inside and get out really of line, get greed.
0: I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund. You go on the paper and, oh, here's this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra 10%. If I put $100,000 into it, it's now going to be worth $110,000. Mm-hmm. You see any are your mutual funds offering any, any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck no. No. This is, the, this is one of the only products that I know of that, that in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they, they sweeten the pot with these bonuses but you must stay in that investment for the
3: entire well there's different there's different investing yeah. schedules there's for different the investing,
0: but, but i can you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus and when i say extended period of time and we're talking 10 years or more
3: yeah and we'll get to the surrender penalty penalty periods in just a second, uh, you know, and again, as I've I've said to anyone thinking about buying these, if they have to entice you with free money, if this thing is really that good as it's being presented, they wouldn't have to give you anything. Well,
0: if they were really that good, Kyle, why would we even need to be buying stocks? And why would we need to be buying exactly. bonds? And why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds? And why would all these other organizations in the United States that are selling uh, that are managing people 's money why would why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what 's going on in the markets? all we' got to do is stick it in these equity next news' going we'll get all the upside and on the downside and a bonus on top of it and why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance product
3: and, and you and you bring up a good point uh, that of the twenty largest insurance companies in, in the country that nineteen of them avoid it like the plague, and don't touch it with an 11-foot pole, let alone a 10-foot pole. And most equity-indexed annuity providers are smaller lower credit quality insurance companies primarily located in the midwest you'll see them in Iowa you'll see them in Missouri you'll see them in Kansas you know you don't see the met life's of the world you don't see the prudentials you don't see um, the principles of the world getting involved in these new york types life. of products new york life they don't sell these types now they sell variable annuities and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either but Uh, We're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not police these products. Which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally had with the state board of insurance, I think they're really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle,
0: but... Haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well,
3: in fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products and that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any... Financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And, in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA to actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way, and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA. They're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims. And when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand from the State Board of Insurance. And
0: just to kind of... For some of our listeners that uh, weren't listening to us in two thousand five, two thousand and six, we actually turned into the state board of insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities, and uh, in,
3: one show, in one show, in one in one hour, they had twenty six noted violations in their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two PhD mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators, where they have found that approximately 20% of premium paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA and to the sales force. And you keep saying EIA equity, equity index annuities. annuities. So if you're given, so if you're buying an equity index annuity, putting a hundred thousand dollars into it, you can almost assure yourself that about twenty thousand dollars of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, well, Kyle, I put in a hundred thousand dollars and I've got a hundred thousand dollars in my account. That is true. But guess what you do have? You have anywhere between 10 to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover the huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things. Now, equity indexed annuities, again, because it's not an investment product, they can pay double-digit commissions to the people that sell them. Why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents? And why do you think they run
0: radio shows all over the state, all over the country? Because they pay
3: big commissions. That's right. Um, and so we you know we talked about the surrender pe- penalty period you know I've done a bunch of research on multiple equity indexed annuities and what I have found running numbers back and in fact I've I've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950 I've seen numbers run back to 1962 and I can tell you that from the research I have done you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold Returns ranging anywhere from one5 to 2% annualized per year. This is where
0: we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term... Don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you you might receive in a CD That's or right. or government bond in in the current interest rate environment. That's
3: right. So let's talk about their uh, the extremely poor liquidity that equity indexed annuities provide. Now all annuities all annuities provide a ten percent free withdrawal, where you can take ten percent of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you need to get a hold of more than 10%. Well, in an equity indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear end surrender charges, 20% plus to get this money out. So there is extremely poor liquidity in equity indexed annuities. Coming up to our last commercial break, we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll be wrapping up the equity indexed annuity education. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity in equity indexed annuities and really annuities in general only allowing up to a 10 percent free withdrawal Uh, anything above that particularly in equity indexed annuities you can be hit with substantial rear-end commissions or rear-end surrender charges as we call them or contingent deferred sales charges is another way uh, to describe them so again they have a real lack of liquidity Now as i was talking about how extremely complicated these products are you know they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark so the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived advantages to the purchaser but because the product is so complex and you need to be a phd in math and mathematics to figure them out it, it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and, opa- and opaque when it comes to, to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated. Uh, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up, for the annuity, you're trapped. There's nothing else you can do. If you want out of this thing, you could possibly get hit with a 20-plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing. Uh, You know, and what, again, doing my research earlier this week, I ran across an insurance company out of Iowa that in the state of California, there's currently a class-action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of you all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organize crime back in the 70s and 80s. And the fact that an equity indexed annuity provider in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty That's pretty significant, I would say. Wouldn't you say, Dad? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And, and really what the, the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity-indexed annuities. And that's really where this California class-action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity indexed annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one-hour or two-hour exposé on the deceptive sales practices of equity-indexed annuities. And he's known for the catch-a-predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator. It
0: was because his mother had been approached by uh, this a salesperson. salesperson. That's what got him into it.
3: And and so somewhere out there on the Internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, it was several years this ago. This was several years ago. And, again, any long-time listener to this program know that we are disdained for annuities of all shapes and forms. But equity-indexed annuities is what really... Gets me fired up because they are so worthless.
0: Well, they're they're the bluebonnet plague of all products that we've ever come across.
3: And and you know we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these, but when you see these high commissions and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic-sounding sales pitches, and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there
0: been anyone in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity-indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X, have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago?
3: No. in, in, In fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs got an EIA that's had since around 2006, since 2006, um, his performance return up 15%. Moderately allocated asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed close to 90%. After same, man, all fees and After expenses. all fees and expenses. That's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. You, when you annualize that number when you annualize that number out, again, they're making just above what a CD would return. but I, I can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside, none of the downside and I do know, and again for education, this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits. That is an absolute lie. There are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability. Being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family-limited partnerships. The last person that anyone should be asking about
0: how do I shelter my assets (laughs) from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. 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 If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular that's fr- right. from from a lawsuit, that's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah, that's
3: right. You don't and come to, you, 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 you don't you come d- to d- us asking about a heart problem. That's right. You don't go to you your know? doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right. So uh, I mean, really, when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor, pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of and any any type of annuity. Of any type of annuity, and I can tell you that we've had some calls, I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that had heard this, Education that we've done in the past on annuities, and they have thanked us for making that mistake in buying these types of products. And, you know, I wanted to, to thank all of our listeners to, to sticking with us in this second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise Wise program to get this education because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products because they are no good for, for, for nobody. I mean, they're, they're no good, period. And there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's MoneyWise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.